0: Our text this morning comes out of the book of Ecclesiastes, um, continuing with uh, our pastor's uh, series in Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, and verse 16, but I want to go back and just pick up one verse and then start right into 16, so if you're reading along with me, I'm going to start with Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, and then go to 16. 16. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time for every matter and for every work, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. We'll read that verse one more time. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. Beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see? Who can bring him to see what will be after him? I had a thought when I was thinking about Ecclesiastes, because I don't find this an easy book, Um, maybe because it's very convicting but I find it has some difficulty in the book. But I, I had a thought, you know, where does this book come from? You know, I, I know that the prophets of old were inspired by the Spirit of God and they wrote and the testimonies and the Word of God became alive to us. We have it with us to this day. But I was thinking about the book of Ecclesiastes and you know what occurred to me was that God, the triune, powerful, sovereign God, in all of his glory, came to Solomon and said, Solomon, I, I want you to tell your story just exactly like it's happened in your life. I, I, I've, I've worked it out in your life, and you know it, and I want you to put it to words. I want you to give your testimony. And that's what we have in these chapters in the book of Ecclesiastes, is we have a testimony of Solomon. and he has from the first chapter up to where we are now as has been coming out over the last few weeks he has said that everything's vanity all is vanity it's a vapor it means it's it's unsatisfying he has declared to us i'm the richest man on the face of the earth. I could, I could, not, I, I could take everything I want to myself. I don't, I don't have to begrudge myself of anything. I can have everything. And, I, and he had everything. He, 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 he found that there was nothing but vanity in, in all of the toil of the earth and all the labors and all the things that he took upon himself to do to build this great kingdom and to be the, the standing in awe to the rest of the world. They looked to him and thought, there's none like Solomon. There was vanity in in self-indulgence. He said, we we learned that he just gave himself, he didn't deny himself anything, and just indulged himself in every pleasure of man. Found no satisfaction. It teaches us that he he was, uh, that there was, he declared that it was vanity in living wisely. I tried to make the wisest choice and do the best things and make the best choices and be the best king and do everything I could, wise as I could do, and he found no satisfaction. And that's where it leads us today. And I thought when I first started studying this, and uh, I was like, wow, he's just going to pound that point a little bit further. So I was really just kind of in a a bit of an agonizing a bit over this text and studying over it and praying over it. And I read it and, and I said, Lord, I just know there's something else here as he continues just as he, to talk about the, just the absolute vanity of the world. And I, and I don't want to miss it. I wanted to be able to share it with you. And um, God was faithful. There's something in here that I get really excited about. Um, This is more than a gloom and doom message, and I want to show that to you, and I hope that you can sense this, and that it brings us to a place in our life where we we can track through Solomon's spiritual adventure with God. Something was working in Solomon because he was never satisfied. Sometimes we get this thing in our heads if we could just achieve this goal or that goal, we're going to, we'll be okay. We'll be satisfied. If I can just get that job, or I can get this degree, or I can, if, if I can just, and you fill in the blank. We've all done this. And Solomon says, I did it better than anybody else. And I wasn't satisfied. So then when we break into our text today, it says, moreover, so he, he's going to add to the vanity of vanities. He said, moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice there was wickedness. In the place of justice where you, you, you we live in injustices all the time, all around us. Sometimes we try, we, we, we want to right those injustices. We, we live among them, but we always have this thought in our head that if it gets too bad, I can appeal to the highest court of the land And they'll hear me, and I'll get justice. And Solomon says, moreover, I saw that under the sun, in the place of justice, there was even wickedness. Couldn't count on that. And then he says that in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Among among those that we would most expect to, to, to be righteous and to give us good counsel and good wisdom, I found wickedness. Solomon says in the Proverbs many times that every man does that which is right in his own eyes. Wow, that's what he's talking about here. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. We cannot appeal to righteousness or justice because the appeal is based on a degraded moral ethic across the globe, around the world. Today, the sentiment is that that your your morality should not infringe on my morality because we each have our own way of thinking. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. So Solomon says this is the state of these things. In verse 17, he said, I said in my heart, well, well, God will end up, he will, finally he will be the judge. He will set everything right. And the wicked will be judged and the righteous will be judged. For there's a time for every matter and every work. There's no respect for what God calls and declares right and good in the world. But Solomon's hopeful that God will, will write that. Verse 18, he goes on and he says, I said in my heart with regard to the children of men that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. God is another good word for, to substitute for testing, and we find it in a lot of other versions is, is in the King James where God says, he uses the word, Manifest. I said in my heart concerning the state, the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them. And I was thinking, okay, I'm trying to put these two things together and not understand it. What it's declaring is that Solomon is saying that God is testing man by the, in this manner, he is manifesting before the world so that it might be absolutely clear where men stand. Now, We have to catch something from the beginning of this study, and that is what Solomon describes in everything he talks about being vanity, and all is vanity under the sun. He is describing a world that is literally devoid of righteousness, divine righteousness, divine justice. It's devoid of that. It is a world that he's describing where God is left out of the picture, We don't want his interference. We don't look for his wisdom. We don't look for the counsel of God. Man has decided for himself what is right and what is wrong. Isn't this the first sin, by the way? Isn't this the first sin in the the garden? God made it manifestly clear to Adam so that every morning when he and Eve got up and they walked into the garden, what, what did he have to do? He had to choose the kingdom of God over the kingdom of the world. When he, when he walked past the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and just told himself, no, it's off limits, he was choosing the kingdom of God. God said, this is all of yours. Enjoy it and, and just be blessed. That was the kingdom of God. One day he decided against that. He said, I'll determine what, what where I want to live and how I want to think and what I want to do, what's right, what's wrong. So he made that kind of determination. So so what Solomon describes is a world where people have made that determination. And we have to be we need to be most careful in our own lives that that we don't do that. There's a spirit of God that moves in in, in all of our hearts and lives, at least I pray so, that calls us away from that, it wakes us up and, and makes us like Solomon unsatisfied with life where, where God is not king, where God is not ruling and reigning in us, where we are not surrendered to him. You see, when you surrender to God, you're literally thinking, there is nothing in this world that I want. There is nothing that I want. His spirit works in you and puts a call on you and you answer that call and you go to him. Here's the interesting thing that I find in this in this passage of Scripture, and it bothered me at first. I was looking at verse 1 of chapter 3, and it said, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under the sun. And I was like sorting this out in my mind, and I realized as I studied this word, season is like an, an occasion, an appointment. There is an appointed occasion as what season meant. So he's literally saying for everything, everything, there is an appointed season for it. Now remember, what kind of a world is he talking about? A godly world? No. This is a world where God has been left out. This is the, this is the kingdom under heaven, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of lost man, those who, who do not seek the will and counsel of God. So, he says, there's this appointed season. Wow. Appointed is like a sovereign kind of word. It's a sovereign God move, statement. God says, all things that come to pass are, are providentially provided for. You say, wait a minute. The vanity of vanities that Solomon talks about is a, is a providence of God, an absolute sovereign act and work of God. That all is vanity? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And this is where the test comes in, in verse number 18. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, God is testing them. He is testing man. He wants us to completely understand and realize that without God, our lives have been reduced to live just like a beast of the field. We are no different. We come from the dust. We'll return to the dust. There is no difference There's no more joy that we would have than a beast would have. Of course, it denies completely the fact that God created us in his own image. And he made us to be different. But when we push him out, then we are like the beasts of the field. Whoa. Kind of get what Solomon's saying now. And he objected. At some point in his life, I don't know when it happened, some point in my life it happened, and if you're a believer as well, some point in your life it happened, but you found no joy under the sun, and you thought there has to be something better. It was made manifestly clear so that that people would... could figure out what to do with this widespread corruption and the fallout that causes the worst damage in a civilization anywhere, where peace and hope have absolutely no meaning. There's a total political corruption. There's total moral collapse in the world. What do you do? What happens next? Vanity of vanities. All is vanity, Solomon says. And then there's two verses that I want to look at, here that have two questions, and I first read them, I thought, well, they're just kind of those questions you get, they're sometimes just rhetorical, and, um, you know, didn't really need to spend too much time thinking about it, but as I looked at this, I thought, these are everything but rhetorical. At the end, okay, look at verse 21, who knows, this is a question, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward, and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So, let's answer the question. Who, Who knows? Our God in heaven knows. Solomon said he was, the Spirit of God was working in Solomon as the Spirit of God works in you and me, and he was backing Solomon into a corner. He was laboring to find joy and peace and happiness and satisfaction, and he couldn't find it. He was backed up against a wall, he couldn't find it. And here it says, who can tell? Where does the answer lie if I can get myself anything I want in this world? I can get myself anything, but I'm not happy. Where does the answer lie? Hopefully it explodes out of us. A desire with, to, to, to inquire. Matthew brought it out in the text last week that he's it's like sown this seed in us because we're made in the image of God that we, that we, we think about, we think eternal things. We think about longevity, we think about living with design, and we think about living with purpose. We think differently than that. But if we kick God out, we have nothing more than, except that reduced ourselves to live like a beast in the field. Another question, just following that. Verse 22, I saw, um, or so I saw, that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot... Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Who can bring him to see? Who can make a difference? And you need to read the whole of this. It's good to read the whole of the book of this letter, this whole, everything that Ecclesiastes offers from the preacher, from Solomon to the end where he, re- he, he puts this out there. see this test that God wants he wants Solomon to write this down and he wants people to realize this and see this and think about this and it's a test so you come up like Solomon did to a a decision needs to be made now here's the thing you know some people are very contented with life just the way it is they don't have any, they, they have, they found satisfaction, they found joy I was sharing um the gospel with a colleague at work many years ago, and he gave me the most uh, straightforward answer I had ever heard in, 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 the, um, in an effort to share salvation story, the gospel, and he just said, uh, I'm not ready to give up the stuff I've got. And I was like, wow. He I mean, just, clear and simple, he said, I'm just not ready to give it up. I'm kind of enjoying it. I like it. Well, that's a difference, isn't there? okay, what's the difference between those people that say, whoa, whoa, whoa who, 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 can, who can know what's better, what's the what's hope, who can know this, and then there's the Spirit of God that works in you and he comes and he works in you and makes you dissatisfied with something and sometimes if we're not careful, we grieve the Holy Spirit and we kind of close our eyes to it and push it aside and set it to the back and we just kind of forge our way ahead and clamor ahead to make progress in life and progress in our journey and, we, and then the Spirit will come back. And then we're, we find ourselves achieving another one of our temporary goals in life and not being satisfied again and again and again. And at some point, the Holy Spirit just overwhelms us because, God, this is the way he is. Maybe you're feeling like that right now. He overwhelms you because he's calling you. And your problems are, not, are nothing what you think they are. Your problems are you just need to Submit yourself to a holy God that loves you beyond measure. We have to be assured of something. For some people, this world is just like Solomon described. For Solomon, it was for a, a time. It was just like he describes. It was a vanity. It was a loss. It was unsatisfying, unfulfilling. It promised nothing. He was disappointed. And then then. A the power of God work, began to work I and mean, he saw things different but we need to understand something in this world. It is like that if you've pushed God out there is no hope until, until God is back reigning and ruling or comes or you invite him or you accept his invitation to come to him and something's different because God is now in your life then it will change but we need to be sure of this that there are divine providences that are at work in your life. Powerful, spiritual Spirit-filled, divine providences that are at work in your life, trying to change things so you see a different landscape, a divine kingdom that God is inviting you to. There is something powerful working in your life, and you have to know that that's what is happening. Let me go back to something here. I said that he, he said, for everything there's a season. God is literally saying that I've actually planned it out exactly the way. I wanted what happened to Solomon to be exactly what happened to Solomon. Because you know what God does in his divine providences for those whom he loves? He will not prosper you in a direction away from him. He will not have, let you have joy because you denied him. He will not let you have peace because you... you turned away from him and you wouldn't accept the counsel of his word or, or the truth and come to him for forgiveness or come to him to, 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 to be your savior, your Lord, your master. If you denied him, he won't prosper your way. You may have these seasons in your life where you look prosperous. These appointed times. God says, I just mean, is the way I work it because I don't want my people to love it. I want them to be disappointed and I want them to be dissatisfied and unhappy because I want their joy to be in me. Wow, that's a lot, isn't it? Who who can do that, you know? The power of God can. The power of God can, can work its way into our heart and make these kind of changes happen in us. It's been the way from the beginning, right? These appointed seasons are a blessing and a merciful thing of God. These times in your life where you're pursuing something and you think that's the best thing and and you get it and it's not good enough and you get it you go on to the next, to the next, to the next, you're running around, you're never just quietly satisfied before God. But you always see your happiness in some peripheral thing. If I can attain this, I'm just going to find my happiness and I'm going to be filled with joy and it's going to be good because I see other people and they have these things and they're happy. Hang around longer. You'll see it come to the full end. And if they don't have God ruling as their Lord and Master, then they're not going to have joy and happiness. They're going to be deceived. And God is going to work it in your life if you are his own. You are, you are one of his children, and has, your name has been written down in the Lamb's Book of Life and before the foundation of the world. He's after you. He is after you. Are you, yeah, well... If you're right in the middle of that now, it might look rough, but he's after you. He loves you and he wants you, but he's not going to prosper your way. So in this letter, he says, oh, I've said it. I've made it providentially impossible for you to find joy without me. Praise God. Do you want to find joy without God? Believers, do you want to find joy without God? Be afraid of it. Be afraid of it because it's temporal. It'll waste you away to nothing. It'll promise you what it can't deliver. It'll bring you in full on into the kingdom of of this world instead of the kingdom of God. So God wants this to be manifestly clear. Because why? Because we need to make a decision. If he can make it manifestly clear that that in this way of thinking where God is, is not a part of your life, this way of living, this way of of moving forward in life, and God is not a part of it. He doesn't want you to gain any any promise or hope in it. So what his design is, is that it's clear to you that your life is no different than the beasts of the field. And so now we're in this place where we need, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to that? Because we want to be full of joy, you know? You know what kind of joy you want? You want the kind of joy that when in an earthly way, in a carnal, earthbound kind of way, everything is going wrong or right, doesn't matter, everything is just, it's not good. Maybe you're up against some trial that's bigger than you've ever had to face in your life. Maybe you're up against an illness or a sickness or a family member. Bigger than you've ever had to face in your life. And you say, where's God in that? See, if, you, if, if he makes all those things right in your life, you've found joy in your circumstances and not found joy in God in his love for you. The fact that he gave his son to die for you, you haven't found joy in. Ask for it. It's new to us. Folks, it's new. As believers, this is a new way to live. It's a new way to embrace things, and the world doesn't necessarily tell us that. Even many times I find it it's our Christian brothers and sisters that don't help us down that road very well. I worked for a guy who went to church really regularly years ago. My son was really, really sick. And uh, you know what he told me? He said, it's because you're letting Satan rule in your life. I was like, what? If God was ruling in your life, you, your son wouldn't be sick. I was like, what? I was pretty young at the time, and I was just like, trying to sort that out. That didn't even make sense. It's, of course, it's not true at all. It's not true at all. It's not the way God works. We can have joy and peace just because he's here in our hearts. You know, it's really, really hard to explain because you know what the Bible says is that the Spirit of God testifies with our spirit that he is the Son of God, that he is God. It's a a powerful, magical, supernatural, spiritual work in us that testifies to our heart and soul, to us that God is God. And I like that. I like that. You can be full of joy in your worst circumstances. You just have a smile on your face, and it means something. We don't receive, the Bible says, the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We are invited into a relationship, and all of a sudden now we're a part of a different kingdom. Not the kingdom under the sun, but the kingdom of God. Jesus came and said, Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Was he talking about a place? He's talking about me. Jesus says, I'm here. I'm here. It's okay now. I'm here. Is he here in your life? Have you surrendered to him? Is he here for you? Have you accepted him? Have you received him? Are you learning about him in the right way? We really have to be careful of this. I think you're safe here in in this church. Everybody, we preach the word. But I know there's churches where the word is scarcely preached. And people are confused. And they don't know what's right. And they look at themselves and maybe like me and think, oh, my son's sick. I'm, I'm doing something wrong. God's punishing me because my life circumstances aren't perfect. And that's not what the Bible teaches. In every age from the beginning of time, there's always been in the ranks of Christianity a modern-day religion. There's always been this. Beware of a modern-day religion. It's a religion that, most, that is most recognized and accepted in its time. That's what a modern-day religion is. It's the, it's, most, it's the one that's most recognized by people. I'll let you sort that out and just go through in your own heart and mind some of the things that you've, maybe you've been up against in the past. Another thing, a religion of, uh, uh, that's like this, a modern-day religion, would be a religion that has like, the most attractive components in its practice and teaching. I walk out of here every time I come to church, and I'm just happy. You know what, sometimes you should walk out of here convicted. Sometimes you should walk out of here just a little bit undone and said, I need some time for prayer. I need to get with one of my brothers or, 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 or ladies, get with one of your sisters in the faith and, and, and just have some prayer time. You don't have to just walk around with this goofy smile on your face like there's nothing wrong all the time. Sorry if that fits, but sometimes it does me too. Sometimes the popular religion of the day is a religion that somehow makes it permissible to hold on to a piece of both kingdoms. You see what I'm saying? People who don't want to give up this kingdom, that this under the sun kingdom that Solomon was trying to find joy in, they don't want to give that up, but they like what God has. So they're like caught in between. This is the thing that most stifles, it most squashes, it most disappoints Christianity today. Because we have the wrong expectations about it. You know what the right expectations about Christianity is? I don't, my sins are forgiven. I'm a wretched person and he he just came and forgave my sin. And he took them away, he died for me. And he's going to come again, and he's going to receive me to himself. He's preparing me a place even now, and I'm looking forward to the kingdom. How many people do you know? Maybe yourself. You found yourself thinking this way sometimes. You say, "I just don't want to go yet. I don't want to go yet because I, uh, I I want to see my children grow up. I want to." There's always something. That say, "Wait a second. Something's amiss about your faith." Paul struggled with that. It seems like he, he went to heaven, right? You read this. He says, I knew a man about 14 years ago, whether in the spirit or not in the spirit, I don't know which. And he, was in the, he found himself in the kingdom. He came back and he said, whoa, you know, I find it, it would be much better for me. This is Paul talking. He loved the ministry God called him to do. He loved to take the gospel of the Gentiles, but he, he was in heaven for a moment. In the stoning of when he was stoned, uh, some I don't know when it happened, and he said, uh, "Oh, I would love to just stay." But God told me it's it's more needful for me to be here now because the work God gave him to do is more needful for him to be here. I think that was the thorn, by the way, in his flashes he saw stuff he wasn't allowed to talk about. I don't know, but he rejoiced in what the gospel promised him do we live do we live and share life and faith family with brothers and sisters in the faith that encourage us to look toward the kingdom Man, sometimes we're so busy scrapping around life around us that we forget and lose sight of the kingdom. We need to be careful because the popular church of the day is going to present a gospel to you if you're not careful that you will willingly accept because it allows you to have a foot in the world and a foot in the kingdom at the same time. And Jesus says, that can't happen. This is the test I gave you. You don't have real joy. You have false hope. You know, the Lord... Remember the rich man who came... And uh, he had, like everything, he just wanted eternal life, and Jesus turned him away. You know, the average church pastor today would have had him on the membership roll in about 10 minutes. Right? Right, Matthew? Average? I'm not saying we would not do that. We don't want to do that. One man says, Lord, I will follow you anywhere. I will follow you. I surrender. I will follow you anywhere, but just let me go bury my father. Let me literally let me do something that, that the law requires. Is what he was saying. You don't, you know, we don't get to dictate the terms. That's the problem. We a gospel's being presented today that we seem to think that we can dictate the terms to God and say, "How ah, this is how I will serve you." We got to be careful of that. We have to to be very, very careful of that. People today, listen, God's sovereign. He is so sovereign, he, he chose the seasons. He appointed the time so that you wouldn't find joy unless you found it in him. That's what he did. He's a sovereign God, and this sovereign... People are like, because they haven't heard the gospel right, they're like, if God's sovereign, and he steadfastly loves me, and this is true, by the way, he does then he's not making good on his promises man if you knew my life and you knew the hardships i'm up against he's not making good on it and then some people have objections and say well if he's sovereign and he steadfastly loved me then why has he not answered my prayers we have it on good authority that god hears all prayers and answers all prayers how does he do that well he's god for one he hears your prayers he knows your tears he collects them in a bottle He's passionately moved by your pain that you feel, and he loves you, and he gave himself to die for you. And he will never grant a prayer or request of yours that would cause you to be further away from him. Why would you do that? Why would you do that to someone? If you lo- will you do something to your children that would cause them to go away from you, or do you want to draw them to you? You love them. You don't want to push them away. God loves you. He doesn't want to push you away. Never does he want to push you away. If he is such a sovereign God, then why is my life so hard? Be careful with that one. I think we should pray for some... I get tired of hearing people say... I've said it, so I can say that I'm tired of it. I get tired of hearing Christians say, "I go to a labor camp and," but it's just out of my comfort zone. I'd go on a mission trip, hike in the mountains of China, but it's out of my comfort zone. I'd go to the homeless on the streets and serve sandwiches, but this kind of makes me feel funny, and I, it's out of my comfort zone. What does that even mean? Who taught us that this? It's out of my comfort zone. If God's sovereign, he would take care of all my problems and I wouldn't have so much difficulty. Life wouldn't be so hard if he was sovereign. Wow, nothing in the, this Bible teaches, nothing in this Bible teaches that. This list goes on. If he's, if he's sovereign and he steadfastly loves me, then why is and you fill in the blank? Why do children die? Why is there cancer? Why this? Why that? I can't answer that question for someone who doesn't embrace the kingdom. I can't answer that question for someone who doesn't, who, who doesn't love the Lord, who's not a believer, but to a believer. And I've known many parents who've, who've suffered the loss of a child. And you know when I tell them to comfort them? or their child is sick, or or a husband's sick, or a wife is sick, or a friend, doesn't matter. There is one person, brothers and sisters in Christ, who loves your child more than you do. And And he has that privilege of saying, I want to take him or her home now. To me, I love them. How does that look? God is sovereign. Let me tell you what a sovereign God, and we have no objections. We will have no objections. What captures us is the single truth. I believe in all of the Bible that God is sovereign, and he loves you. He will not prosper you in your way, but he'll draw you to himself in love. His promise to you is that his love will never fade don't care if it looks like it does from time to time, but that's his promise, and I like that promise, and I hold on to that promise. It's dear to me. Because I've done things, people, in my life that should cause his love to fade for me. But it didn't. Because he loves based on the merits of his son, Jesus Christ who died. His love never fades. His promise to you is that he will hear your prayers. It's his promise. Just pray. He longs to hear you pray and to call out to him. He longs for you not to say a word, just to come sit somewhere quiet before him. Don't say anything. Just be there. He longs for this. His promise to you is that he will forgive you of all of your sins better than anyone else will. Sometimes people might say they forgive your sins, but they don't forget it. But God, oh, he forgives your, your sins and, and picks you up and pulls you into himself and, and, and makes you one of his own. A joint heir with his son, Jesus Christ. Your sins are removed from you as far as the east is from the west, which is a way of saying they don't exist. I have forgiven them. It's over. Move on. Move forward. Enjoy me in the garden. Enjoy me as the ruling and reigning king and lord and and the lover of your soul. Enjoy me. His promise to you is that he would be the author and finisher of your faith. I really like that. He's the author and the finisher. He begins it and he'll finish it. He's not going to let you go. You may let him go from time to time, but he won't let you go. It'll hurt. It'll hurt. You remember when the Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus? I love this part of the story, and sometimes we forget this. But he's on the road to Damascus, and he's got letters in his hand from the high priest in Jerusalem, and he's going to have some people thrown in prison or whatever he can do to wreak havoc on the church. He was a first-century terrorist who met no equal. And he was on the road to Damascus, and the, he encountered the Lord. And you remember what the Lord said to Paul, Saul, at that time? You remember what he said? He said, um, I memorized it in the King James, but it's like... Um, Paul, it's been kind of hard for you lately. It's kind of hard. It's like you're kicking against the goads. I've had a I've had this harness on you and there's sharp things poking you all the time. It's been hard for you, hasn't it? What did that mean? The Holy Spirit was after him. The Holy Spirit was after him. And guess what he did? Got him. Got him. when you have a brother or sister comes to you and says, I need prayer, don't, don't try to take away their hurt and their pain. Just help them through it. Help them to understand it. But don't say, God, well, God will just take that away. Just, just Bear your soul before God and come before him and surrender to him. Just desire him. Let me close. Just, his promise to you is that he... Has always and will always love you like no one else can. Like no one else can. So, is the test that Solomon sets forth enough to make it manifestly clear wherein is the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God? There's no crossover. You're either all of God's, and we want to make sure we embrace his word and his truth that leads us in that way, 100%. Let him capture you. Let him own you. Submit. There's a power working in you that's not going to quit until you do. Let it work itself out, but God is after us. He he desires us. If you're his own, he he has more to share with you, more of himself to give. The question, let me close with this. Have you ever submitted to God? Not asked him for certain things to make your life easier. I said, have you ever submitted to God? Submitted to his absolute claim on your life. I like what the Apostle Paul says. What do you not know, old man, that you are not your own? You've been bought with a price. I love the way that sounds. Don't you like it when someone loves you so much they get a little possessive? This is God. He loves us, you, you so much. He's, he's possessive of you. He's jealous for you in a great way. Think about it. Ponder this in your heart. Let the Spirit work and listen because He's drawing you to Him. Let's pray.